We're going to get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for uh, loving us. You are, you're amazing um, and wonderful and kind. And we thank you for um, the ability to get here together and learn about you. Father, I pray that um, the truth would be spoken and received here today. If I say anything that's not true, please block it from our hearts and minds. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay. Hebrews 11. Um, I hope y'all had a chance to listen to the Tim Keller sermon on faith that was linked, but I understand that there was a bad link. Um, so if you have a chance to listen to it this week, I think it would be beneficial. It's about 35 or 36 minutes, and um, you can just go to youtube.com and Google Tim Keller and the reasons for faith, and, uh, or Noah, Noah's reasons for faith, I think, maybe, something like that. Um, uh, so some of what I'm going to say today, if you did have a chance to listen to it, might seem pretty familiar to you, um, but I'm not Tim Keller. <laughs> so um, this uh, chapter in Hebrews is pretty famous, and it walks us through the Old Testament saints, and it gives us uh, examples of how they put their faith in Christ, even though they didn't really understand who Christ was or how he was going to accomplish their salvation, but they believed in the promise of the one that was able to take away their sins. But you can't talk about Hebrews 11 without talking about what faith is, what is genuine faith. Um, And this is something that Tim Keller will discusses in this particular sermon, but the first thing is that you have to consider is knowledge. Um, We and they, being these Old Testament saints, had to have knowledge about God and man. They weren't just trusting willy-nilly in some vague concept. Um, They and we had to have some fundamental knowledge of who God and man were and what their relationship was. We could look all over Scripture and find this, but since we're studying Hebrews, um, I want you to just go back all the way to Hebrews 1. And I'm going to read the very beginning of that. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So there are some things in here that we really must have knowledge of before we can have true faith. We have to have knowledge that he created us, that he is sovereign, that Christ is God, and that Christ made purification for sin. So we have to understand that we are sinful. And if we are sinful, then we are in need of salvation. And if we are, need, if we, if we are in need of salvation, what do we have to understand about God? We have to understand that he is holy, holy, holy. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we know these things about God and man, but that's still not enough. It's not enough to know about them. We have to believe they're true. 
I, I want to take a little side note here and say that we don't have to understand everything about God to have faith in God. In fact, um, Scripture tells us that we won't be able to do this. The psalmist tells us, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised for his greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah tells us, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then um, Paul goes on in Romans to tell us, oh, the depths of riches, wisdom, knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways and how inscrutable are his ways, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? I took organic chemistry in college. I have no idea why I did this. Um, It was like someone was speaking a foreign language to me. They would come out with all this nomenclature like sodium laurel sulfate or polyethylene glycol or trichlorofluoromethane, blah, blah, blah. And then they started talking to us. They would draw these big things up on the board, and it would be these these hexagon things, and it would show how like an amine or a mite or an alcohol or something would all go together. And um, I would always leave that class panicked hoping that the grad assistant who taught my lab would be able to make some sense of it for me. He's kind of cute, too. And um, I never really understood it, Um, but I believed it was true. Um, It wasn't some blind belief. I know organic compounds exist. In fact, I use them every day. You use them every day. They're in soap, gas, makeup, etc. We use them. In fact, we not only do we use them, we believe that they're going to do the job that they're intended to do. So we, so we believe that they're real. We have knowledge of them. We believe that they're real, and we live like they're going to perform that duty. And so faith begins with knowledge, and it begins with the belief of that knowledge, but it, that's still not genuine faith. We have to trust it. We have to believe that it's going to perform. And so when we trust in God, it means that we believe that the knowledge about him is evident in our life. We, understand, we can't just believe it, know it, and believe it. We have to trust it. When we love someone, they become an intrinsic part of our lives. We don't just say, oh, I love you one time, and then it's over, and then we never have to say it again, or we never have to act like it. That is absurd. And that is, our, that is the same with God. If someone one time at a certain age says, oh, yeah, I believe God, and then they never live like they believe God, like they love him, that is not faith. That is not true faith in God. Um, R.C. Sproul says justification by faith alone is not a faith that is alone. And now I'm going to read to you a pretty long passage in James. If you want to go there, you can. Um, it's in James 2, and I'm starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be filled and warmed without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. And I say, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, show, I will show you my faith by my works. Um, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So in Hebrews 11, we see all of these Old Testament saints doing things by faith. They are doing things by faith. They are enduring things by faith. By faith, we understand. We can't understand unless God gives us the faith to do it. By faith, Abel offered to God. Enoch pleased God to the point that it didn't even have to suffer death. I don't really understand what that means, but um, I do believe it's true. Noah constructed an ark. It took him 120 years to construct this ark, and it had never rained before. Um, Abraham obeyed, and so on, and so on, and so on. Y'all know from your study of Hebrews 11, all of these great things were done. They did these things in their faith, and they never received the the things that were promised. They saw it from afar. They understood that they were foreigners in a strange land, that um, they were exiles on earth, but they desired something better. By faith, all of these um, saints of God acted on their faith. They acted on the knowledge of who God was and the condition of their own hearts, and they lived like that knowledge was true. Their works demonstrated their faith. Their, their works did not create their faith. Um, if you looked up the cross-references, you read this in Ephesians 2, and this is a famous passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Faith is not a result of works. You can't create your faith by your works. And why is this? So that no one can boast about it. It's all of God's doing. So Hebrews 11 has many examples of people acting on their faith, but the story doesn't end there. It goes on to tell stories of horrific pain and suffering and death. Um, Tim Keller said, if you can only get through verses 35a, you're doomed. True faith glorifies God and all the deliverances and the successes, and it also endures the pain and the suffering and even death. True faith perseveres. True faith sees the loveliness of Christ, not just in all the things he can do for us, but the beauty of our sinless Savior who loved his own with this grand, beautiful, everlasting love, a love that demanded his life and his death, a beautiful love of our holy God desiring to dwell with us to the point of humbling himself to leave his high place in heaven and suffer death, death on the cross. True faith looks forward to something better, better than any of the sweetest things we will ever know on this earth, better than the way a child's hand fits perfectly in yours, our friendships and marriages that see you through your greatest joys and your dark, ugly hours, better than the breeze off the ocean or the warmth of the sun in your face or the juice of a ripe peach running down your chin, than a cup of coffee or a great glass of wine or a great book, Here's one of my favorites, crawling into bed with freshly shaven legs with clean sheets. (laughs) It's better than. Rico Tice is an Anglican priest that I like to listen to, and he says this, God is better than what life can give you, better than what death can take from you. This great gift from God sustains us in our darkest hours. So we've seen them put their faith by doing and accomplishing things, But the part where Tim Keller is talking about, the part he says you have to get past, 
the end gives us a record of God's people whose faith in Christ stood firm in the midst of the most awful adversity. I wonder what proponents of the prosperity gospel would say about this. Yes, sometimes, many times, God gives us sweet things, health and loving, harmonious relationships and travel and food and beautiful weather and um, great jobs and victory over our enemies. But sometimes, many times, God calls us to stand firm during bitter things, sickness and death, persecution, troubled relationships, joblessness, natural disasters, defeat. The end of the chapter of the end of chapter 11 tells us that many were tortured, imprisoned, killed, mistreated, yet they endured. They were commended for their faith. They knew, believed and lived like there was something better. They knew that their earthly life and their earthly death was just the beginning. Now, if any of you are like me, you might be feeling a little troubled right now. I'm kind of, sometimes when I hear things like this, it scares the bejeebies out of me because I know who I really am. I know my darkest thoughts and my deepest fears. I know how little I love God and how I long for comfort and ease and happiness. And if left to myself, I know that maybe, just maybe, I could get through Hebrews 35a. But 35b and on, not, pretty, not very confident about that. But I'm not left to myself. God who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Um, Rhett Owens is a Presbyterian pastor, or Dodson is a Presbyterian pastor in Ohio, and he says this, the road to heaven is treacherous. The path presents many perils, but the Savior, Savior will walk every step of the way. Christ is all you need for the dangerous journey. That's the pilgrim's assurance. And, and Valley of Vision says, keep me ever mindful of my natural state, but let me not forget my heavenly title or the grace that can deal with every sin. Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed to the world, but transformed. How? How are we going to be transformed? Tells us it's by the renewing of our mind. This is why we study the Bible. We have to use our minds and know scripture and preach the truth to ourselves. When the knowledge of our persistent sins bogs us down and causes us to doubt or to have a crisis of faith, we must look to his word for truth. I think this is one of the most frustrating things about being a Christian, that I continue to be beset by my sin. Why do I continue to act like I'm still a slave to sin? And I have to remember what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ. It is a fact that if we belong to Christ, we are dead to sin. This is not because we don't go on sinning but because Christ has given us his righteousness. Christ paid the debt for our sin, so our account with God stands on Christ's life and not our own. I get his righteousness, he gets my penalty. If someone decided to deposit a million dollars in my bank account, I am a millionaire, whether I feel like I am or not. It is not a feeling, it is a fact that in Christ we are dead to sin. I know this, and because I know this is true, I can live like it. I can trust that God 
will cause me to walk in his ways, will cause me to hate my sin, and will cause me to have my love increased for him. B.B. Warfield says, at the end of the day, it is not faith in Christ that saves, but Christ who saves through faith. And he is able, as we learned in Hebrews 7, he is able to save to the uttermost. My final thought on this comes from the hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. They are words to live by, and they're words to die by. Listen to this. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that um, you do have an everlasting love for your people. And when our hearts fail, you do not. And so help us to remember to live like we are dead to sin and alive to you. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.